So hello again. This is Steve Taylor, the lead advisor at Merited Wealth with my podcast, the Do It For Yourself podcast. Uh, I appreciate really those of you that, that have been listening. I've gotten some, some great feedback and, and anybody out there who's listening, you have any ideas or feedback or anything, please, you know, drop me a line. Uh, love to hear what, you, what you'd have to say. And so, you know, for those that have listened, you know, our podcast is, is pretty much focused on those that kind of do it for themselves. They've gone out, started their own business, uh, done it different ways and kind of the life lessons from that. For these next few podcasts, I'm, I'm going to become a little industry specific, and it's going to really be in my industry, in, in the financial advice industry. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the ultimate way of doing it for yourself, right? It's to go out and to create your own registered investment advisory firm. And so, you know, if you're not in our industry, maybe we might be maybe some terminology you're not familiar with, whatever it might be. But hopefully if you are, you know, you'll understand what we're talking about and, and, and hope that you could find some value here. And so without further ado, let me walk into our, our guest. I'm, I'm very, very honored to have this guest on the show with us today. She's a, uh, a friend for many, many, many years. And uh, our paths are, are kind of similar because we met in law school and both of us are not practicing law. So uh, Ginny, Ginny Neal, if you can uh, introduce yourself and, and just tell us a little bit about your firm and you. Okay, great. Steve, it's nice, so nice to be with you. Um, I started my own registered investment advisory firm last year. The name of it is Spring True. So Spring, S-P-R-I-N-G, True, T-R-U. And uh, the tagline of it is invest together, give together, grow together, which is super important to me. All of those, uh, the community that you create in finance, giving with your money, being very mindful of how your money functions in your life. And um, so I'm new to this journey, new to entrepreneurship, um, and just so excited about what's going on. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it for those that have just gone out many times. They'll they'll be like, well, what did I wait so long for? You know, and 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 uh, they're really enjoying what they're doing. But let's let's start, Jenny. If maybe you can give us just a brief background so everyone kind of knows where you come from. Give us, you know, kind of your background uh, and where you were working just prior to, you know, kind of deciding that you're going to start up your own RIA. Okay, so I will say I haven't really had the traditional path into finance. You know, as you said, Steve, we went to law school together, and I actually started my career practicing law, corporate and securities law. Um, I did get into finance a little because I structured hedge funds and private equity funds for part of my job, and I also did IPOs, so initial public offerings. Um, but I wasn't really focused on finance at that point. Um I ended up getting a job first as general counsel for a wealth management firm. So that was kind of my entree into the business and just really loved it. Um, the I, it, was a, it was a registered investment advisory firm that I started with. We were a small group. Uh, we actually grew to 300 employees and we had about 350 clients. So it was very boutique, uh, very nimble, fun, creative. And uh, that company ended up being acquired by SunTrust. And I did not really want to be general counsel for a bank or counsel for a bank. And um, I decided I liked the biz and I wanted to do it myself and be an advisor. So I got all my securities licenses. 
probably kind of like your journey, right? Ripped off the Band-Aid, did something different. I started this at JP Morgan in their private bank. I then went to Merrill Lynch, which was my last stop um, and uh, in their private wealth division. And then uh, I ripped off the Band-Aid again and started my own firm. Very interesting, right? Not traditional at all. Let me ask you, Jenny, I'm sure being with that RIA, um, that growth and how they got sold, you were in a very entrepreneurial, very dynamic you know, atmosphere, very, very independent atmosphere. When you decided to actually become an advisor, why did, at that time, why did you not look for kind of a, a RIA, something independent, rather than going to the large bank like JP Morgan and then Merrill? Well, you know, I live in Palm Beach area in Florida, right? And and the community is pretty small and tight knit. And I actually knew some of the people that worked at JP Morgan. So they were actively recruiting me. And also, to be honest, having not done the job before and sat on the client side, I really wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to be, right? I'd had the experience where I was counsel in this RIA great firm, but I, I really wanted, I think, training from a big corporation. And that was probably the most important part of me saying yes to JP Morgan. Now, ultimately, my journey took me back right to where I mm-hmm. started. But I learned a lot along the way, which I think makes me a better advisor and also equipped me to start my own firm. Right. I think that's very wise. Yeah, it's very wise. We used to talk about the training. I remember my journey. Uh, I started out many years ago at an insurance company and I got training but it was training on how to sell, right? Which, oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, which honestly was very, very useful. And I attribute a lot of, of aspects of, of success to, to that. But uh, the training you got there, did, did were, were you happy with it? Did you feel it was complete? Did you feel um, it was lacking? You know, just, just for example, now I'm sure as you'll grow your firm and train people, how, how, how was that training process? Because yes, I've heard that many people will say exactly like you, I want to go there for the training. Well, so the training, I think, was excellent. Honestly, uh, J.P. Morgan's private bank runs a very tight business. And the training is very methodical, especially for people who start young, right? You get to step up um, and do new things along the way. I actually was put in a role where my primary responsibility was for managing the clients, but also to bring in business. So sales was a part of that training. And frankly, you do have to know how to sell to get clients. So um, having that brand name behind me just to start out, like it's not Jenny Neal Advisors, right? It's JP Morgan. And I was just, I guess, not confident enough to be Jenny Neal Advisors at that point. And having the JP Morgan brand behind me just made me feel more comfortable. Um, So I feel like that part of my experience was actually very, very helpful. Um, but there are trade-offs, right? You're working mm-hmm. for a big firm. It's not as nimble as where I came from. Uh, sometimes the compliance things made no sense to me as a lawyer, right? Like, you know what the regulatory environment is, but compliance tells you something different. Uh-huh. Um, so those types of things. And then, you know, they sell their products. And if you really want to give unbiased advice, um, you know, sometimes I felt like it was a little too much right, of a product push. Mm-hmm. Like, don't always want my client in a JP Morgan fund. There might be another fund I want to put them in. Yeah. So those types of things. And um, and as I became more confident, I'll say this too, um, 
and was bringing in good business, it gave me, I guess, the, I don't know, the impetus to just go out a little bit more, right? So my next step was into a brokerage firm, right? Which is not a salary bonus. You actually, you know, own your own business, so to speak. They just take a really big cut of your revenue, right? For you to be there. And so again, not brave enough to go out on my own, but getting a little braver along the way, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I totally I totally understand that. And that's something we all go through coming into this business. It's interesting. You know, I have my own law firm for many years. And when you have your name on the door, it's like a, it's a badge of honor. Oh, my gosh, this person has their own name on the door. But then when you move to the financial, like, oh, I don't understand that name. Like, like who is that? Why? Why? Why is it there on their own? And that was always something when like when I was getting back into the business, I would sit down to people and I was making my rounds of interviews and I would show up, they'd, they'd pull out their business card. I remember this guy at Wells Fargo and I said, I, I see two names on this business card, right? Which one do you feel more important? It was, it was the advisor's name and then Wells Fargo's name. And he said, Wells Fargo, echoing kind of what, what, what you're saying. And I was always coming from the background. No, I think it's the other name because that, that's the people that, that, that they talk to. That's where the trust is gained. That's that's where it really it really grows. So you move from J.P. Morgan over to Merrill Lynch. You're getting more comfortable. You're owning your own name, but you're still not ready to fully do it on your own, right? So you made you know a, a partial step, a baby step. There's there's many steps you know throughout this industry. Uh, so so you're there, right? You're I'm sure you're you know you'll you'll tell me you're. You're doing well. You you go into it. You're 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 driving business and everything. So so how's that going? And when and when does your mindset start to kind of come about? And and why to say, huh? Maybe this may not be the final home for me. I think it was a few things. Um, and honestly, COVID had a lot to do with it because COVID was a work from home environment for a long time. And it gave me the confidence that, yes, I can function outside of the big corporate headquarters, function very well, and my clients don't really care where I am, right? They're comfortable showing up on Zoom. And and it also gave me the time to think. And the questions I was asking myself is like, Jenny, you know, what do you want your next 10 years to look like? Like, do you really, do you really want to work in an environment where you don't feel like you can function optimally. And again, it's the same themes, right? Compliance frustrations, um, just not being able to get things done for my clients sometimes. And, and also I will say this, being a woman in this business is not easy. I mean, I think you can look around the rooms that you're in, Steve, and you see that it's predominantly men. And I was really craving the opportunity to create a space where I could actually show up a little bit better for women with their money, because women often ignore their money, right? They're busy. They, they do other things. They let their husbands take care of it. Um, you know, or even their fathers in some cases, it's, it's really interesting. Um, but I really wanted to create a space that was a little bit different and more inclusive. Wonderful. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, your passion, your finding what motivates you when all of us in this business, um, you know, it's why we do it, right? We find our, our, our why of why we do this. So I think that's wonderful. And, and so you're feeling your passion and then, you know, we'll go into compliance a little, a little later. I don't want to make this a whole compliance thing, but so 
was Merrill Lynch not supportive of, of you really, you know, marketing to, to women and speaking to, to women or, or was it just that, that it was, it was too limited in how you could do it? To me, it's more of, and, and again, it's how I function, right. In, in, in work environments, um, Merrill is all about, you know, targeting women. In fact, you know, women have, uh, they're going to gain, right, the largest transfer of wealth over the next decade than any other demographic. So, you know, from a marketing standpoint, um, you know, every firm, right, every finance firm wants to do well for women. Right. But but I think that there's, you know, wanting to target women is one thing, but how you market to women is another. And I have always found in these corporate environments that you know, sometimes they're still talking to women like it's a man in finance. And women tend to be much more broader in their thinking. And the things that motivate them around money is not like creating alpha or beta or the big win, right. you know, all, all the terms that finance talks about. They are really more about um, how is my life going to be better? How do I take care of my kids? Um, you know, what do I do if, if, I'm in crisis, right? And and so it's a much more, I think, emotional journey when you're advising women than it is with men. Men tend to be able to compartmentalize and just say money, right? I'm going to focus mm -hmm. here. But women always have to focus on everything. And so I felt that there was a space for me to create. And, and actually, it benefits men too, I'm finding. I got certified as a high-performance coach uh, during the pandemic too, because you know, markets are crazy right now. Mm -hmm. It's it's a wild journey. And I found that my clients were super needy emotionally across the board, men, women, anyone. Um, actually have some non-binary clients, which is, you know, so I have a really wide base. And the emotionality of money, even though they say don't be emotional, it you just can't, you can't not be emotional. So anyway, I really wanted to create a space that was more about the whole picture, about feeling, um, you know, and things that traditional finance doesn't necessarily address. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, you know, being raised primarily by my mom and my aunts, I totally get it. My brother and I, we always have that connection with women. We understand that that's how we were raised. Those are the discussions. So uh, I think that's great. So, so, so you're here at Merrill. Uh, you want to have this different, you're, you're realizing you want to have the discussion in, in a different way and not, not the way they're marketing, which for many people when they go RIA, marketing is a big part of it. This is, this is how I want to speak. This is the message I want, I want to put out there. So I see in our business that a lot of groups uh, basically uh, come together. They're like teams. They become teams. And then they carve out and they go and create their own RIA, right? That's I see how many of them do that. Uh, you did not do that. So let me ask first, was that maybe an option? Was it just you didn't have the necessary relationships or or you had those potential relationships? But but why did you do why did you decide to make it just to go you and to do Spring True? So Steve, I believe fundamentally entrepreneurship is not for everyone. And I actually have really good relationships in the industry, and I was very, very close to doing this with someone else. But entering into a partnership is a big deal. And I have seen a lot of partnerships break up and go awry. And I, I was very reticent to start something unless I was 100% sure. So 
when I was thinking about doing this, we actually, the people that I was talking about doing it with, we did full assessments about our strengths, weaknesses, all of those things. And ultimately we determined that they weren't really fit for this big journey, right? For a startup, uh-huh. they they were more comfortable in another environment. And I was all for the startup entrepreneurship, the journey of this crazy, you know, creation. And um, so at that point, I'm like, okay, can I do this by myself? Holy moly, like what? And I just really wanted to do it. And yeah, and I didn't know how it would end up, but so far, so good. <laughs> that That's awesome. Before we go into that part of it, um, do you remember, it's wonderful, you did this assessment, you guys really took your time, that's anybody to go and do this, you need to take your time and do your research. Do you remember a characteristic or maybe a question that came up in the process or a discussion that was had wherein you knew, hey, I'm going to do this, but I know they're not right, right? Because I, unfortunately, in my firm, we, you know, we brought in another, another advisor and, and, they, and they left, it, it, it didn't work out. But, you know, can you remember a, a discussion or one item that, that really showcased that or did everyone kind of come to it on their own? I think it was a journey, right? Because there were many aspects of the things that we were talking about. But ultimately, I think it came back to risk tolerance and money. <laughs> Again, our money theme. Yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, the people were men and all have children, right? A lot of responsibility. They have wives that don't work. Um, and I think there's a tremendous pressure there. And, you know, we had full financial disclosure with each other, which was super brave, like cards on the table, statements on the table. Um, and I just think there was just a, a level of discomfort. And even though I don't know that these people would say that, you can feel it in the answers to the questions. And when you talk, start talking about how you want to grow and how long it's going to take, right? And will we be making the same amount of money that we're used to making, right? Where do we mm-hmm. have to give and take? Um, when you start having those conversations, you really start to see where people get nervous. Mm-hmm. And and I could see that. And, you know, I will say, frankly, I actually think it, it might be in the future, right? But- really jumping into the deep end was not palatable for them. That's, that's, that, that's awesome. Yeah. You really got to trust your gut through this process. Yeah. I know my, my route, uh, you know, I, I changed careers midstream, making a lot of money to making no money with a wife and that didn't work and kids. So that, that's not for everybody. And I get it. And I, and I, and I applaud you. I know, I know all the risk, uh, you know, that, that was there, but then really you got, you got to trust your gut. So you went through the conversations, you had this process and, and, and you trusted your gut. So that's wonderful. So, so you've, you've come to that realization and now you, you've turning and, and you're focused on this. So, you know, walk us, walk us through a little bit about kind of, you know, the process briefly, how you went about it. What were some things that surprised you that were really hard about it? What were some things that were easier about it as you're kind of going through this process to open up your own RIA? So I think I got really, really lucky. You know, as a lawyer, I was very mindful of the obligations I had to Merrill. And Merrill had been a great place to work. And I didn't want to mess up my relationship with the firm. So I thought about these things. I did some preliminary due diligence on custodians and things like that. Um, But I 
literally <laughs> resigned December 30th of 2020. And I had interviewed a compliance firm and the, they actually, the principal of the firm actually had a registered investment advisory company already set up that he was not using. So I ended up acquiring that firm. Wow. Which okay. Is what crazy, luck. Right. Crazy town. Right. So I end up December 30th, ending that relationship over the, over the new year. Literally, we were working on this, doing the deal. Uh, finishing up all the due diligence, I acquired the firm. We filed uh, a letter with the state of Florida, you know, stating that it was going to be transferred to me. And Steve, I cannot even tell you how this happened, but I think it was either the 4th or the 5th of January. I had a letter of approval. Wow. Okay. So this that is, is, that's amazing. Mind blowing. So yeah. To your listeners, I will say, this is not, it's not that easy. It's yeah. not that easy. And moreover, right, I was equipped to do this because I'm a lawyer and I know how to yeah. do a deal. And so I was very, very blessed to have that situation arise. But I would say normally it's going to take somebody at least six months. <laughs> so let me give let me give briefly my story. This is what I thought you were going to say, but then you went a totally different direction. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've seen that, right? Those those public shell companies that companies acquire kind of a cheap way of going public, right? That they, they do those kind of deals. Uh, so uh, I'm, you know, we're both we're both lawyers. So I went through and I hired a consultant to cross some T's and dots some I's. Uh, but I did all the paperwork, the filing with them on my own. Right. I went in and, and filed it on, on my own and, and, and submitted it. And, yeah, it took it took about three to three to five months. And, and more than anything, it was just I had to keep following up with the state like, hey, are you looking at it? Are you paying attention? I was at an independent broker dealer, so I, I didn't have to, to go yet. Uh, so it took about it took about three to six months uh, for my process. Right. Yours, yours, yours is yours is amazing. Uh so that's what somebody can expect. Now, now let me ask you this, because I'm even though you know you're doing your due diligence, you're taking over this 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 RIA. I mean, the biggest thing when you have your own R RIA is putting your policies and procedures and your compliance manual together. Um, can you walk a little bit, and especially like you mentioned before? It's so interesting at these larger companies when they say you can't do this, and we're like, well, why not? They're, you know, there's nothing prohibited to this. It's just because they didn't want you to do it, right? That's that's that the answer was. So as lawyers, we're a little different because we understand what the law says and items like that. But going through your policies and procedures and creating your manual, uh, you know, that was something that was really a work in process for about a whole year for me. I did a couple of updates and stuff like that. How how was that going through that and, and putting that together and say, OK, now I'm not at Merrill. I'm going to do it the spring true way. How, how did that go? Right. So I actually outsourced to a compliance consultant, right, because I didn't want to recreate the wheel. And so I was able to use their forms mm -hmm. and really identify how I'm running my business and what disclosures apply and what disclosures did not. And so I took those forms. I did a lot of the heavy lifting myself and I got them to a place where I thought they were good. They, the compliance consultants reviewed them. But as you said, it's, it is an ongoing process, right? Because as your business unfolds, things are changing, especially in the first year, and you're realizing what you're doing and not doing. So, you know, in this year and a half, I guess I've been operating, I've actually updated my uh, compliance manual, I think three times already. Very, very standard. I think if you're really 
if you're paying attention, I think that's exactly kind of how we've done it as well. Because what people, for those that want to go to their RIA, it's not necessarily about so much about what you can or can't do. You kind of know what you can't do, but just whatever you put in that manual and whatever you put in your documents, that's how you have to do it. If you say you're doing it, you have to, you know, you have to do it that way. And so you realize you have this different language. Well, it's not like maybe when you're at Merrill or typically my background, the independent broker dealer background, where they allow you to do almost anything. It's like, no, now I'm only doing these things. So I want to be specific and really tailor my document uh, for that. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly been my experience also. So, so now what a unique experience. You came over, you're, you're working. So talk about onboarding clients, right? How, how did that process go? Obviously it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a working process. Um, I'm sure you're not, you're not compete and all the like, I mean, maybe you had to have some things run out or maybe you didn't have a not compete. Maybe you, you, maybe you negotiate a much better deal there than, than most other advisors. How, how did that go? Once you've got it, you're in place and now you're starting to onboard born clients. How, how has that gone in, in, as your own RIA? So that's that's a journey, right? Because often you have a, a non-solicitation of clients obligation. Um, fortunately, when you're in a broker-dealer world, usually you have more latitude there because you've brought in the business. Um, so I had very specific areas where I could touch and not touch, right? So, but for the clients that you can't solicit, you're like waiting for them to call you, which is super uncomfortable, right? Because you've left the business your clients don't know and you can't call them, right? You have to wait for them to call you. Luckily, my business is pretty, uh, although very customized, it's very streamlined. So I don't have a lot of clients, like the bulk of my clients are ultra high net worth. And so there are fewer of them and we're very, very close. So luckily that process was not as difficult as I thought. You know, you're relying on the custodian, to get accounts open. So that's a journey, getting to know your custodian. Um, but honestly, it went quite well. It um, it does take time, right? And, and frankly, when you talk about the first six months, I would say that consumed me, right? The transition of clients. I, I don't think I even looked up <laughs> for the first six months because you're do, dealing with all those logistics, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's, that's a huge part. That was a big uh, learning, uh, learning part to me as well is, and that's really the biggest decision I think for anyone who's listening out there. Like, which custodian are you going to work with? Because you're going to have to start learning their 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 ways and then and their method. Uh, some people if they're an independent broker dealer, maybe you can go to the same one and you have a good idea. But for someone like you coming from Merrill, you you can't continue to use Merrill, right? You have to go whether it's Fidelity or Schwab and learn that whole system. So that's a a big decision and uh, a big learning curve. And so yeah, that's always that's that's taking time to work through that. And that's and that's exactly how how it's been. So, you know, let me now that you're over here, you've you you're working on that. You're working on clients. It, it's hard to explain, you know, to to certain people. I, I don't know if this if this came through to you, but once I finally created my own RIA, I'm always 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 with an independent broker dealer. They say they're independent. You know, you say you're independent, it's your own business, but it's really not. When I when I created my own RIA and I had to own every single aspect of my ADV and my manual and stuff like that. My my mindset changed a lot, and I really started to really truly feel how it was to be a business owner. Can, can did can you explain a little bit how how your mindset now a year and a half into it versus three year years ago when you were thinking about it? Maybe how you kind of view the business and your business a little differently. Well, 
I will just say there's joy in owning your own business that I could not have put a, a quantity on, right? Like it's, it's amazing to show up every day and think, think, okay, I'm building this for me and my clients. So that's one thing. But from a mindset standpoint, for me, I always got great comfort, I think, from working with the big corporations and having the big name behind me. For some reason, that just like made me feel better. And so I do think it takes some resilience to be an entrepreneur because there are days that just don't go that well, right? Or you might worry about losing your biggest client. Um, because you're feeding yourself and you're feeding your staff. Like that's how I feel. I'm feeding my family. So from a mindset standpoint, I kind of had to make some peace with my fear because, you know, if you let that get the better of you, you're not going to succeed. So like, I am always having this self-talk with myself about, you know what, Jenny, you, you just have to show up every day, right? You show up every day, you love on your clients and you just you just keep going. And I think that mindset shift and just kind of stepping out of my fear was the biggest thing for me. That's awesome. I love that, Jenny, because that's what it is. And what many people don't understand, especially when you go your route, right? Like me, and, and you do it on your own. When you're an entrepreneur, it can be very lonely. And mm -hmm. no one's going to be there to pick you off the ground. And so you really have to uh, cheer yourself up and focus on the task at hand and, and pick yourself up because it's a huge challenge. Even if you have, you're in a committed relationship, you know, you're the other, the other person's not going to really understand exactly what you're going through because it's so personal. It's so deep. And, you know, like you say, battling with your fear because your fear could overcome you. And that's really, I think, you know, what keeps people where they're at to make that change is, is so brave uh, and, and, and it's so wonderful. Um, so I love it. I love hearing the joy and, and that you're so happy and, and, and going forward forward with it. So let me ask you this, uh, Jenny, as we, um, you know, as we as we kind of come to the uh, the end of our, our time together, I always like to ask, you know, and, and this doesn't necessarily have to be specifically for whether you become an RIA or not, but you're in this business and your career and, and you know what what you're doing, that if you can go back to Jenny, I don't know, we, I'm not going to go back over 10 15 years ago, right? And you could You're gonna go back and, to law school. Go no, yeah, <laughs> that's too far. We didn't do anything, right? Oh my gosh, if people saw us then. Uh, if you can go back to her and you could tell her something that you know now that you didn't know then, uh, to hopefully make this easier or to give her a big learning lesson, what what would you tell her? I think I'd go back to joy because I think there's some joy in the uncertainty of things. Right. Like if you can get comfortable with just not knowing exactly where things are going and not having that stable paycheck, there is so much joy to be had in creating something. And I think I would also tell her because, listen, that that young Jenny was super driven and kind Whoa. of wound up tight. <laughs> you knew her. Um, and I think I would tell her to relax a little bit <laughs> because you miss it. If you're, if you are worried all the time, you just miss it. And, you know, I'm all about just trying to live my life every day the best way I can. And, you know, that younger Jenny could have benefited from knowing that, I think. I love it. I absolutely love it, Jenny. I couldn't tell, I, I tell 
uh, my staff that works for me now, like, if you, God, if you guys knew me before, you wouldn't have liked, that was so anal. This is like, you know, they messed up. Oh, whatever. We'll figure it out. Uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. I think this has been great. I think anybody uh, that listens to this, hopefully they find this helpful. Uh, like I mentioned, this is going to be the first of a, of a, of a few parts uh, podcast uh, talking about the journey to go through through RIA. Hopefully they can be as fortunate as you. That's a whole new aspect of buying an existing one, right? That someone's kind of just winding up. Um, that's really interesting. I want to explore that more. Uh, but, uh, you know, this has been really great. And, uh, you know, if anybody, you know, they'll be, I'll put information about you and your firm at, at the podcast. And uh, I really thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me, Steve.